Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here. I don't know if you know, but that last song, After His Heart, they, the, uh, there's a group of people in our church that, are, that wrote that music, and uh, it's really, really cool to see them taking that ministry to the next level. It's part of what we're praying the Lord provides, uh, the opportunity for us to continue a ministry that writes music that people will sing, that has theologically, biblically faithful, theologically rich lyrics. So uh, if you see Granger, just encourage him to continue that ministry. It's awesome to see that come together. It's been uh, an eventful week in our world with Roe v. Wade being overturned. And I want to just mention a word about that. As you know, I'm about the most apolitical pastor you've ever heard that I, I don't like talking politics in the church. Doesn't mean I don't want you as Christians to go and champion the biblical values in, uh, in that world. I do want you to do that. But I think that in here, my job, primary job is to teach the word of God and equip you to go live it out. But every now and then the culture provides an opportunity where uh, I feel that there's a, a responsibility to teach what the Bible says about that topic. And so uh, I believe the Bible makes it very clear that God knit together uh, life and our lives in the womb. And so we, I do think the Bible is clear enough that we should take that stand that life begins at conception. And so I think that was the right decision. But the instruction or the, the, the exhortation I want to offer to the church is while we are thankful for that and, and are praising the Lord for years of answered prayer, how are you responding to those who disagree? You know, it's, uh, it's a great opportunity to stand for truth, but stand, speak the truth in love. And it's obviously a passionate topic that people get very uh, passionate about, and, and we can do much more harm in the discussion than we can good because uh, we wanna give people the benefit of doubt. I don't think most people who would disagree with you, most people who are pro-choice, as much as that is an inflammatory word to many of us, they're not gonna say, they're not thinking about it in terms of we just want to stamp out life. They come from it at a different place that we may disagree or we do disagree with but we don't wanna categorize everybody in the same as villains and enemies. We wanna to talk to them, speak the truth in love, meet with them and, and explain where we come from and that the scriptures teach us that God is the ultimate authority and that our lives are not about us getting what we think we deserve or what we think our rights are. Our life is about submitting to the Lord and his word and we think this is why it's clear that this is what we believe. So please, on your social media, and you're in conversations with people. Represent Christ well, whether we're in a place of victory or defeat, let's represent Christ well. This church is not a Republican church. It's not an independent church. It's not a democratic church. It's a church about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God, amen? All right, all right. Having said that, we come to 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 15 through 22. You know, 1 John 5, 19 says this. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know we are from God and yet the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This means that as believers who are seeking to obey God, living in a world that is in the power of the evil one, there is going to be resistance 
everywhere you turn. And we should not be surprised by this. You're going to be constantly in a battle. And I think it's helpful to think about the battle in terms of three fronts. You've kind of got the internal battle, the battle of the Bible calls it your flesh, which just means your own personal temptations and your battle with sin. And you're going to battle with that just because you're Christian. That doesn't go away. It should get easier and you get stronger as you walk in the Lord. But there's going to always be an internal battle with sin, with flesh, with temptation. There's a second front. There's the battle of the world or the culture that is built by majority of people who are walking contrary to the will of God. And so you're living in world systems or cultures or, or contexts that are not going to be in line with what the scriptures teaches us. So there's the battle of the world, the, the, the flesh, the world, and the devil. The Bible makes it clear the devil is real. And that there was God's created angels who fell from grace in their resistance and rebellion and their pride that God, and we live in a season that God has given them a measure of freedom to, to run the world system. That we have to choose that we will not worship him or follow him. We'll worship Christ and follow him and his word. And so there's a battle everywhere you turn. The world, the flesh, and the devil is kind of the way we describe that. So when you think about that, no wonder you're tired. No wonder we're battle-weary. I think that's half the battle, no pun intended, is realizing that we are in a battle on every front. And so when you grow weary, don't be surprised. This life is a battle. If you're not weary and you're not battling, that might be an area of greater concern. We have physical battles. We have spiritual battles. We have cultural battles. We have relational battles on every front. So, of course, we grow battle weary. Today in our verses, chapter 15, Chapter 21, verse 15, we'll read this. And David grew weary. David grew weary. Now, this, as we said last week, is an appendix. It's appended to the end of 2 Samuel. You had 1 and 2 Samuel, it ended, and then you have this little appendix stuck on the end. David grew weary. Why? Why did the author want to make sure... I've said, I've said the story now. Remember this, David grew weary. I think it's helpful to know the Lord is saying to you, I know you grow weary. I know you get tired. I know that there's battles on every front. And he says to you, I'm here for you. That's what the point of today is, is to, is to turn to Jesus when you're weary. Father, we ask for your help this morning. We ask that you would encourage and strengthen those who are especially weary. We all live with a sense of weariness, but sometimes we grow especially weary. And for those here this morning in that season, I pray that you'll just strengthen them, that you will be their, their rock, their shelter, their shield, their savior their soul. 
strength for their soul. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's begin reading in chapter 21, verse 15. It says this, There was war again between the Philistines and Israel. Of course there's war between the Philistines and Israel. That's what they do. War after war after war. And David went down together with his servants and they fought against the Philistines. So clearly this is not in chronological order because if you've paid attention as we read through Samuel, David stopped going into the battles. He was going into battles and then we're gonna see in this text, which is an appendage to the end of the story, going back in time to this day before David quit going, it says, David went down with his servants and he fought against the Philistines and David grew weary. He got tired of fighting. He was the man, he was the king, he was the chosen one. God put him in this place, but guess what? Even the the chosen king, David, got tired of fighting. So what happens while David is tired and while David is weary, what happens? Well, what happens to you when you're tired and weary? What, what seems to happen in life when, when you're at that place where you say, I got nothing less. I got nothing left. I can't do anymore. Oh yeah, you can, because it's about to come, right? It's about to hit. So this guy, whom I've been practicing his name all week, Ishbibanab, 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 however you want to say it, Ishbibanab, Ishbibanab. I'm going to go with Ishbibanab. Ishbibanab, one of the descendants of the giants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze. That's a lot. I don't know how much it is. That's a lot. And who was armed with a new sword thought, I'm going to kill David. Of course he does. What happens when you're tired? What happens when you're weak? What happens when you say, I'm done? The giant gets a new sword. And he's like, I'm going to go get him. And David is just like, oh, I got nothing left. So the giant gets a new sword and he decides he's going to kill David. Now, I want to ask you something. As you're reading this story, this appendix of this giant, a descendant of the giant, who's got a a spear, it's like a weaver's beam, where's your mind going? Where's your mind going in the Bible? Anyone? There you go. I don't know who said it, but gold star, good reader of the Bible. That's how the Bible works. God is intentionally inspired the writing of this text to say, at the appendix of this story, I want them to remember when David fought Goliath. So let's think about that. Let's go back to 1 Samuel verse, chapter 17. And let's think about David and Goliath and see what is the author wanting us to think of as we come to this text. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4 through 9, remember it says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So he's this huge dude. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, which is like scale covering his body. And he was, the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. 
and he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam. And the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went out before him. So you have this picture of this incredibly ominous beast, like a serpent covered in scales, opposing the people of God. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. That was a lie. But if I prevail against him and kill him, and you shall be our servants and serve us. So Baal's there. Remember now, this is a picture of, it's a real man, a real event, a real giant of a man. But the narrative, the scriptures take this scene and it takes on epic proportions. This becomes a a literary archetype of Satan, of the devil opposing God and his people. And the people of God are in this battle with Satan and they're quaking in their boots and they're wondering who will save us, who will fight the enemy for us, and then who shows up. Big, strapping, strong, covered in warrior's gear, David, right? No, 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 that's not. That's why this appendix is here is no, no. Remember David when he came up to Goliath. He was the runt. He was the nobody cared about kid. He was out in the field taking care of sheep. The last person you'd want to call to fight Goliath When they put the armor on him, he was like a little kid playing in dad's football gear. It just did, it was a joke. Like, no, you can't wear that. He couldn't even walk. So the author's intentionally saying, you've seen David as king of Israel and you've seen his mighty victories and you've seen his victories over the Philistines over and over. What a mighty warrior and how the people rallied at his cause and sang songs about him. He says, but remember, Remember that day we met David and he came up and he comes up and he's just this runt of a kid? Remember, that's who David is. And remember what David said when he showed up and he saw the enemy mocking and attacking and harassing God's people? Remember what came out of David's mouth? Out of the, heart, out of the mouth overflows the heart. Here's what David said, chapter 17, verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He points to all of Israel and he says, these are the armies not because they're big and strong and well-equipped. That's not why we should fight. That's not why we should be encouraged. That's not why we should be strengthened. But these are the armies of the living God. So be strong and courageous because the living God is fighting through you. And then in verse 37, he tells his own story. He says, the Lord who delivered me as a shepherd boy from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistines. 
the writer is saying, remember, that's David's heart. That's a man after God's heart. He wasn't that he was strong. It wasn't that he was special. It wasn't that he was especially equipped with battle, the latest of technology and weaponry. It's that he knew that the living God was fighting in and through him to win the battles. And so at the end of the story, the writer's saying, do you remember that? Because you've seen a lot of David, you've seen a lot of victories, you've seen some really bad times, you've seen a lot of good times, but remember why God chose David originally is because he knew his faith, his trust, his confidence was not in himself, was not in his weaponry, but was solely in the Lord. So are you tired? Are you battle weary? Tired of fighting your own battles, internal battles? Tired of fighting the culture at work or in the schools or in politics and all the stuff you hear and all, you wore out from that? Are you tired? You know there's a real enemy of God and you feel like he's getting a stronghold, he's getting victory. Are you worn out? Remember David as he faced Goliath. He said the victory is certain because he is victorious. The God is fighting in and through us. So this begins to, to, to say, okay, I think I know why the, the author has attached this to the end. He's saying, don't fall for the temptation of putting your hopes in, in any human leaders. Perhaps for now it's saying, hey, you may be celebrating. You may not be celebrating, whichever you are in your own personal journey, but don't put your hope in Supreme Courts. They're not going to bring peace to this land. Don't put your hope in the right, if we just had the right president. Don't put your hope in any lesser kings, but King Jesus, period, is what he's saying. So to the reader, now Israel was reading this in some dark, dark days. This kingdom of David, that kingdom of Israel that we've read about in time, as time progressed, the actual recipients of the, the bound Hebrew Bible were in a very dark day reading these stories. That, and they were in a time where this kingdom has crumbled. It has fallen apart. It divided. They apostatized. They left the Lord. And the Lord, Babylonian and Assyrian invasions has ripped them out of their land, destroyed their temple. It is a disaster. And they're going, what? What hope is there for the future? And they are weary. And God's word is saying to them, wait, did you think King David was the answer? You need to remember how David was when he showed up for battle against Goliath. It's never been about David. David's never been the hero. The whole point has been the son who will come from the line of David is the hero. And the rest of the story tells us as the gospels open, he has arrived, his name is Jesus. And that's where we put our hope. Resist worshiping or putting your hopes or your dreams in any lesser king. Also, I think this text, as we're going to see in a minute, you can tell me at the end of the message if you agree or not, but I think this text is making it clear. Also, we need to guard against 
self-reliance, putting our hope in our own strength and our own abilities. And like we all tend to do with a little success, I think David might have gotten off on track here. He started out, well, this is all about God and he's the one that's really fighting the battles. But as he got success, I think he got a little bit confident in himself and it was all about himself. We're going to see next week in a text, I believe it is, or maybe the next week, he does a census, which is a sign of pride of saying, look what I built. So I think we see that he got carried away and started being self-reliant. And anytime you get self-reliant, brother, I promise you, you're going to get tired. You're going to get really weary really fast. If you think it's up to you, apart from the work of God in and through you. So in fact, I want to go back to this scene of David and Goliath and tell you what I think I see going on. How many rocks, how many stones did David gather that day to fight Goliath? First service got it right. What did you say? You were right. How many? Five. How many if she just shamed y'all? <laughs> she got it right. Five stones that day. And I remember reading that going, hmm, why did he choose five stones? Was that a backup plan? Maybe so. But see if you track with me and think that what we see is going on in this text. So back to our text in 2 Samuel, verse 17. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. I don't mean to throw you for your loop. Let me go back. So I'll read David and Goliath, verse 40. Here's what happened. It says, Then David took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in his pouch, the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistines. So he approached this giant. He had five stones in his, in his pouch. He pulls out one stone and he nails him one stone, slings it, takes down Goliath. So he's got in his pouch four more stones. That leaves the question, what were those four stones for? Was that just a backup plan or not? Well, let's look at our text today in 2 Samuel. We see a second giant shows up, right? So this giant with this weaver's beam got his new sword, says, David's tired, let's go. Giant number two, comes to David, what happens? He's got five stones in his bag still, right? Says in verse seven, but as Ishbibinob, we're gonna go with that, as Ishbibinob comes up, what happens? Verse 17, but Abishai, not David, Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine, the giant, and killed him. And then David's men swore to him, you will no longer go out to war with us lest they quench the lamp of Israel. You're done, David. Your days of going out to battle are over. Tracy, you're old, you're weak, you're slow. You ain't got it no more. Stay in the temple, we'll handle it. That's basically what just happened. You don't have the strength you once thought you had. You don't have it. And by the way, give us the rest of those stones. You tracking with me? So second stone, second giant. And he says, you need to realize, David, you can't do all of this on your own. That's what I think is going on here. Thankfully, God provided help. 
God provided Abishai. God provided someone else to say, David, you're weak. You don't have all that you once had, but we're going to bring people around you to provide for you in your time of need. Verse 18, let's keep reading. After this, there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushethite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giant, giant number three. Again, we have another giant. What happens? Does David strike him down? No. Sibachai, not David, strikes down giant number three. Keep reading. Verse 19. And there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jar Origim, the Bethlehemite, if you say them fast with confidence, you think I got it right. Struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So giant number four. Now this time, lots of ink has been spilled about, wait a minute, it says Goliath. I thought David already killed Goliath. And there's tons of debate about what does that mean? I think it's pretty simple. I think Goliath is being used like a, a title for the giants in your life, the Goliaths of your life, that David isn't physically killing Goliath, but someone else is killing another giant like Goliath, giant number four. So they're all still attacking God's people. The leaders of God's people are still under war with Philistines and giants are being slayed, but they're not being slayed by David. They're being slayed by others who God has provided to come alongside him to fight with him. So that's four. We still got one more rock, one more stone. Keep reading. Verse 20. And there was war again at Gath, where there was a man of great stature. Now it gets kind of weird. Another giant, number five, the biggest, baddest of all, had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, was it David who stepped up and slew the giant? No, Jonathan, not Saul's son, but David's nephew, probably named after Jonathan. Jonathan, the son of Shammai, David's brother, struck down the giant with all these extra appendages. So giant number five, who slayed him? Was it David? No. So what do we make of all of this interesting part that's just added to the end of the story. I think the point is clear. David, when he set out, he was off to a good start. He knew God was fighting in him and through him. And he knew there was five giants in the Philistines. And he was like, let me get five stones. He wasn't thinking he was going to miss. He was thinking, I got this. I'm going to take down all five. And he piled in his pouch five stones and he took the first one out and he said, bring them on, where are the other four? And as he fought and as he got confidence and thought it was all up to him, he got tired and the people finally said, brother, they're not all for you to kill. Let us help. I think it's a reminder to us to say, even those of us, even when you get it right and you know that God is fighting in and through you and you're doing your best to trust in the Lord and to let him fight your battles, guess what? 
you aren't the one to fight every battle out there. Good friend of mine preached here probably 13 years ago and still remember what he said. It's like working your crop. He says, you just need to focus on working your row. And this is not always easy to figure out because there's so much to be done and you know that all of the things that you could be doing are good, but you have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what are you calling me in particular to do? What giant is mine to slay? I'm not gonna slay all the giants. I've struggled with this over the years is that the whole world just about is lost and needs the gospel. And Why can I ever stop and go to the camp and take a weekend to relax? There's someone else who needs to know Jesus. But, I need to ask the Spirit of God to lead me. What battles are mine? What does faithfulness look like for me? Because I can't do it all, and neither can you. So if you're tired today, remember that it's the Lord who's fighting in and through you. Don't be relying on yourself. Don't think that some human leader is going to solve the problem. You've got to trust only in Jesus. And guess what? You can't fight all the giants by yourself. You need help. And you need to know, what is the Lord calling you in particular? What battle is yours? And as we look at the next section of chapter 22, verses 1 through 4, we see ultimately David's one who trusted in the Lord. And that's the point. Are you seeing David as a model of how to be strong in your own strength? The writers say, no, 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 you're missing the point. David from day one knew I've got to trust in the Lord. Look at what he says in verses one through four. It says, David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies. The Lord delivered him and from the hand of Saul. And David said, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield. He's the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold. He's my refuge. Are these the words of your heart? The Lord is my savior. The Lord saves me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. As you battle on all three fronts, Jesus is the only way to have victory over your own sin, your own temptation, your own battles in the flesh. Turn to Jesus, ask him to forgive you. He fills you with the spirit and he gives you strength to walk in the newness of life. As you face the culture and you go to work and you've got all these noise coming at you, trust the Lord to give you the words, ask the Lord to help you, to show you what battles are yours and trust him. Ultimately, Revelation tells us he will come back and he will finish off the devil. Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever the devil will be. When Jesus says, you're done. But then Matthew 25.41 also says, Jesus says that he will cast all those who follow the devil into that same eternal fire prepared for the devil. And then at that time, he brings about a new day. He gives a new heavens and a new earth. 
He gets rid of all of sin, all the effects of sin, and there will be no more war. Amen? There will be no more battles, physical battles, spiritual battles, internal battles, cultural battles. It will all be done. Jesus wins. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And we'll have a glorious, glorious eternal kingdom with Jesus. But you got to choose. Whose side are you on? Father God, I pray that today every single person here, every single person that hears this gospel message will choose King Jesus. Not self, not politician, not judges, but Jesus. That Lord, I pray that we will learn how to strengthen our hearts in the Lord as we battle each day for your glory. We ask all this in our King's name, our Jesus' name.